Right, well, we'll be in um, Micah chapter 4. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there with me. Micah chapter 4, verse 1, and then we'll go all the way to Micah chapter 5, verse 5 this morning. This is God's word. Let me read for us. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Pages are sticking together. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat and Beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. 
in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these uh, wonderful words. And really, honestly, at first glance, don't make a whole lot of sense to us. And so, God, now I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand uh, what you have to show us uh, here at Christ the King Church in the year 2020 uh, about what you are like. And so, God, would you teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is the mic situation my problem or your problem? Okay. Just making sure. It, I mean, it's probably my problem. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. We're good. I mean, it's okay. I'm just stating the obvious so people don't think I'm oblivious. All right. Well, between Micah chapter 3, verse 12, which we looked at last week, and uh, Micah chapter 4, verse 1, which we're looking at this week, uh, a shift takes place that you may or may not see. Uh, But this shift will be with us through the end of chapter 5 of Micah. So you'll you'll hear the Christmas language that you've been waiting to hear after all of this uh, judgment and uh, doom and gloom. And which tells us that Micah is not just this uh, depressive kind of uh, doom and gloom preacher that we probably think he is, uh, according to Micah chapter 1 through 3. So the continued intention of Micah in his book is to show what God is like. So in chapters 1 through 3, the emphasis was on God's holiness and judgment. And now in chapters 4 and 5, the emphasis is the God who saves his people. So from chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 15, there are actually five declarations that trace this theme of salvation. So you have, uh, in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, you have salvation for the nations. And then in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, you have salvation for the regathered remnant. And then chapter 4, verse 8 through 13, you have salvation for the victorious remnant. And then chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, you have salvation for the ruler of the remnant. And then salvation of the nations of the earth in chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. So you can see just by that short explanation of what is going on in chapters 4 and 5, that the salvation that God brings to us in Christ is thorough. It's comprehensive. It saves us in every way possible. Nothing goes untouched. And that's what Micah is seeking to communicate to God's faithful remnant. He's trying to make crystal clear to them that even though they will suffer judgment, even though they will go into Babylon and they will be exiled, that God is still there and that he is not silent. That he, that he truly is their Emmanuel. He is God with them, even at this moment in their history. He is their loving hope. 
And so we see this in three ways in our text today. One, and it's in your worship guide if you're taking notes. One is that it's a hopeful trust. Two, it's a confident trust. And then three, it, uh, three, why we can trust with hope and confidence. So a hopeful trust, a confident trust, and then why can we uh, trust with hope and confidence? So first, a hopeful trust. Verses 1 through 8 immediately follows the, the news of a horrendous judgment from chapter 3. In Micah 3, uh, Micah has called the leadership at every level corrupt. He has laid before God's people, this is the problem. This is your sin condition. The judges have failed to give justice. The, the prophets, the preachers have failed to give a true word from God. They're just saying what the people want to hear. And the rulers have ceased to rule. We good? I don't, I don't even need a mic, actually. I can just take it off. So, I, my voice is loud enough. So the rulers have ceased to rule. So this is, this is what you could say is the perfect setting for an apocalyptic drama. This is setting the stage for that apocalyptic movie. That the world is in chaos. The world is in chaos. Judgment is coming. And then Micah inserts verses 1 through 8 that has this theme of hopeful trust in a hopeful future. So Micah begins verse 1 with the words, It shall come to pass in latter days. And these are words that are pregnant with hope for God's people. It shall come to pass in latter days. So what Micah is doing is Micah is forcing God's people to take their eyes off the current circumstance of judgment, just for a moment, and then to look forward to God's mountain, because that is where their hope lies. So in these latter days, Micah says three things will be true of God's people. They'll have strength, they'll have peace, and they will have security. So in verses 1 and 2, Micah uses this image of a mountain to describe, to describe the promised strength. And I don't think any of us will look at, can look at a mountain, whether you're going hiking or you're just kind of driving through the mountains or you see a picture of a mountain. I don't think any of us look at mountains and think, man, those are weak. They're not really doing anything for me at this particular time. Because mountains are uh, both a symbol of strength, thanks, both a symbol of strength and trepidation, but also a symbol of security and caution. So when you go hiking in the mountains or you go mountain climbing, you are taking gear with you. You're, you want to keep your safe, keep yourself safe, because the mountain is intimidating. That's what you want to do. So for God's people at this moment in their history, this is a moment of shakiness for them. It's, it's fear of the unknown. They need to see the mountain of the Lord in their vision. They need to see an established kingdom. They need a vision of a lasting kingdom uh, before their eyes. So let me just preface this application point that I'm about to make here. To say 
that the year 2020 pales in comparison to the atrocities that God's people experienced in exile. Being on lockdown for nine months or so and having our lives disrupted uh, for this long is not the same as the exile that God's people suffered. Just want to make that point clear. And then just give a but. But it has been a long, hard year. Some of you have had to face things about your job about your kids, about everyday life, about yourself, uh, about other people's opinions and choices that you never thought you would have to face ever in your entire life. And that has probably unsettled you. That, that, may, that may cause you fear. It may, even, it may even cause you to be doubtful about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. So Micah's message is the same for you. Micah says to you, look to the mountain of the Lord. Look to the mountain of the Lord. Because that is where your hope lies and your strength is found. The beauty of Christianity is that we don't put our hope in things. So right now, these things are are vaccines and policy changes. We don't have to put our hope in those things. Our hope is in the sure and steadfast promises of God that we find here in Micah chapter 4 and 5. And we're in a unique time as, as the church because we live in a time uh, that, we call, that we call being in between the advents. We live in a time where we can uh, look back at the promises of the Old Testament, like we're doing right now, uh, and, and see them fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament, which helps us to look forward to that second coming of Christ. And so we find ourselves right in the middle of all this. So why do we do this? Why do why do we look to the mountain of the Lord? Well, Micah tells us in verse 2. So that he, God, may teach us his ways and that we, his people, may walk in his paths. So that God may teach us his way and that we, his people, may walk in his path, which tells us if we anchor our vision on anything else other than the mountain of the Lord, we will falter. You'll fall. You'll stumble. Now, I've been hyping this book up for the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's a book by Joe Rigney. Uh, some of you are smiling because you know. Um, but it's a book called Strangely Bright. And he, ma- he makes this, this point. He says, quote, You cannot set your mind on things above if you never take time to actually direct your attention to things above. End quote. So how does one do that? How do, you, how do you direct your attention to things above? Two ways. Really easy. Personal devotions. So that means getting in God's word and 
prayer and corporate worship, what we're doing right now. Personal devotions and corporate worship. This is what uh, Mr. Rigney writes. Again, a quote, in, in the absence of corporate worship and personal devotions, we will inevitably anchor ourselves in something else. Our spiritual lives will drift. If your spiritual life is drifting this morning, that is probably why. You have anchored yourself in something else other than the gospel. Your, your vision is, is on something else other than the mountain of the Lord. Micah says, anchor yourself in God's strength. So in verses 3 through 5, Micah says that the second future reality of God's people is peace. And why will this happen? Why will we have peace? Well, verses 4 and 5. Micah says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Which simply means uh, God said he will do it. And we, as God's people, will walk in the name of the Lord. So this is why there will be peace amongst God's remnant. Because true peace is only found in God. So that's why there will be peace. And then in verses 6 and eight, six through 8, Micah says that the third reality of this future hope is security. Uh, you, you guys know you, we do everything that we can to make ourselves feel secure. So we have complicated passwords on our computer. My, my Gmail kicked me out today. I thought I wasn't going to have access to my sermon notes today because I had changed the password. So complicated passwords. We have home security systems. We, we, uh, we have airbags and we wear helmets and we have savings accounts to have financial security and investments and retirement and disability and life insurance just so we can have security. We can feel secure. We can feel safe. And all of these things are good things to have and use. Until you forget that they are useless for your soul. Micah 2 uses images here to describe the type of eternal security that God's people have. They have the, the, this is the image of a shepherd regathering his sheep there in, 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 verse, in, in those verses. And that then becomes a tower. So a tower in, 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 in God's people's mind, when they heard a tower, their mind went to strength. Their mind went to power. So you have this image of a shepherd regathering his sheep that then becomes a tower in verse 8 where the gathered remnant dwells secure. So Micah is saying, God will gather them as a shepherd gathers his limping sheep. And we're all limping. He'll then assemble them together. He'll then put them in a community. And then, once he's gathered them and assembled them, Micah says, he will then lead them back to safe pasture. So true security 
is only found in the true shepherd. So I'll say more about that in in a minute, the, the language of a shepherd. But for now, what Micah wants his listeners to know is that even in times of judgment, it is best to be in the gentle care of Israel's good shepherd. So, I recognize it's, it's really easy to say in the midst of something hard, um, look to the future where it will be better. Things will get easier. And so it's really easy to say that in a moment of crisis for a friend or family member, that it's going to get better. You'll, you'll beat the cancer. Your job will get less stressful. Parenting will get easier, which is a lie. Don't ever believe that. There's a vaccine coming. And maybe so. Maybe all of those things will happen. But what do you say in the present? What do you say in the here and now when the cancer is wreaking havoc? What do you say when your job is overwhelming? What do you, what do you say when, when the parenting woes are heavy? What do you say where you live in a world where sickness just seems like it will never go away and people just keep dying? What do you do then? Well, for the Christian, it's our second point, our second main point. A confident trust to which I added in a not-so-hopeful presence. So verses 1 through 8 uh, point God's people to their, to their future hope in God's future grace. Micah is saying to them, look, God is going to meet you there in the future and he has grace for you there. But now in verses 9 through 13, Micah grounds them in the present reality of God's grace. So God's grace is in the future, but God's grace is also in the present. So we know it's their present reality because of the use of the word now. Maybe you caught that. So if you if you circle things in your Bible, you can circle the word now in verse 9, 10, and 11. Micah wants us to know this is happening now. This is the situation now. So in verse 9, Micah begins with what seems to be like a seems to be a rhetorical question uh, meant to mock the current reigning king's ability to lead his people. So he's, he's using this mocking language to make God's people stare their, their current predicament square in the face. He wants them to know, look, don't you have a king? Don't you have a king that is supposed to be doing all of these great things for you? Isn't he there? Isn't he doing his job? And the reason why Micah is doing that is he, is he is trying to make the transition from judgment of God's people to the restoration of God's people. So it's like asking the question, maybe you've asked this question of someone, how's that working for you? When you see that, see that what they're doing actually isn't working for them, but they're still trying to exert all of this energy into this thing that's not working. And so you ask the question uh, sarcastically, how's that working for you? Because what I can see with my own eyes is that it's not working for you. 
So Micah is not doing this out of out of just mocking, just to be cruel. Micah is doing this out of love for God's people. He wants them to see that their current situation is not working for them. And God's plan is comparatively better. He wants them to weigh what is what what are your leaders doing now versus what is God doing now and what is God going to do in the future? Look at verse uh, 10 of chapter 4. Actually, the second part of verse 10. Well, I'll read the whole verse 10. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. So right there, Micah is saying, you are going into exile. You're leaving everything behind. You are going into the open country where you will not feel safe, you will not feel secure, and you're going to a different nation that will rule over you. It's bad. And then he says, same verse, there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Then you have verse 11. The nations are stacked against them. The nations are ready to pounce. Their eye is on the destruction of God's people. So what you're seeing there is you see rescue, you see judgment and rescue in verse 10. Then again you see uh, destruction in verse 11. And then in verse 12, Micah now tells them that the very nations stacked, stacked against them will actually fall. So you kind of have this back and forth of, of, of uh, judgment and rescue and judgment and rescue, and you're thinking, which is it? It almost seems contradictory. How can Jerusalem win and lose at the exact same time? That doesn't make any sense. How can they go into exile, yet at the very same time be rescued in exile? But this really shouldn't trouble us if we've been following Jesus for very long. Because this is what we see throughout redemptive history. Especially in God sending his son, Jesus. Who also lost and won at the exact same time. It's the great redemptive reversal, isn't it? So at one moment we're dealing with a dead man. And at the next moment, we're, we're dealing with a, a risen king who's risen from the dead. G.K. Beale, in his book, Redemptive Reversal, he takes note of this, which is another excellent book, by the way. So if you're looking for Christmas presents, you're welcome. Two great books that I read this year. But G.K. Beale, in his book, Redemptive Reversal, he says this. He says, Adam's tree appeared to lead to life and glory but ended up leading to death and disrepute. On the other hand, Christ's tree appeared to lead to death and ill repute, but resulted in life and glorification. And this redemptive reversal all starts at the weakest moment of all of our lives. It starts at birth as a baby. 
to which Micah refers to in our second point in chapter 5, verse 5, which uh, verses 1 through 5, which tells us why we can trust with hope for the future and have confidence in the present. So Micah 5, verses 1 through 5, is one of the Old Testament's, I, I think one of the Old Testament's most clear prophecies about the coming Messiah. We, we, let, we read it last night at our hymn sing. And it tells us three things about the promise of a Messiah. It first tells us that it's a true promise. So in Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament, when King Herod heard of Jesus' birth, this, this new king who he believed threatened his rule, the first thing that he does, because he's troubled, he's worried that this new king is coming and that people are going to flock to this new king and that he would be forgotten, that his rule would come to an end. So the first thing that he does is he summons the chief priests and the scribes. He summons the religious leaders of the day and he wants to know... Where is this king to be born? Where is this king to be born? And what is their answer? Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. The answer they give notes to a pagan king, an unbelieving king, is from the Bible. They go right to the scriptures and say, He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's what the prophets tell us. He is going to be born in Bethlehem, king. And we know Herod believes this prophecy because of his response. So let me just read Herod's response in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, and then I'll read um, what his final response is in verses 16 through 18. So they quote Micah 5 to him, and he he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And then in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's pretty brutal. But even in that brutality... This tells us that Micah's message to God's people thousands of years before Matthew chapter 2 tells us that Micah's message is not wind and lies. Micah's message is entirely true. And it's a message that God's people can trust with all hope and confidence. It's a message that you can stake your life on. So what what message are you placing your hope and confidence in today? And I say today because those messages change on the daily, don't they? How is that working for you? I can say with certainty. Actually, I can say the reason I can say with certainty is is I can say from experience. 
Because I trust in, in lies as well sometimes. That if your hope and confidence is not in Christ, you'll constantly find yourself on a roller coaster of disappointments and excitements. And that's how you'll ride your life out. But not so with Christianity. Now, yes, you will experience disappointments and excitements, probably those same disappointments and excitements. You'll experience suffering, uh, maybe even more suffering as a Christian, according to what the Bible tells us. But you won't be controlled by them. They won't toss you to and fro because you have a leveling constant, and his name is Jesus, who the Bible says never changes. Every day he's the same. Every moment he's the same. He's just as faithful yesterday in your suffering as he is in your excitement and joys today. Just as faithful. Well, the second thing these five verses tell us about the promise is that it's an eternal promise. Micah tells us that in the last part of verse 2. He says, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Which literally means from days of eternity. So eternity past and eternity future. So this, this we know is not the way of human kings and kingdoms. We know just from history class that human kings and human kingdoms, kingdoms rise and fall. There have been many great civilizations throughout history like Babylon that we're reading about today. Greece and Rome, uh, the United Kingdom even, that are either no longer in existence like Babylon, or no longer hold the power they once held. But thankfully, this is not the way of Christ's kingdom. His is forever. As it's sung in, in Handel's Messiah, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. The third thing these verses tell us about the promise is that it's a good promise. If you've been a Christian for very long, I think it would be impossible for you to read verses 4 through 6 of Micah chapter 5 and not be reminded of these words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for, for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And because Jesus is the good shepherd, we know Micah's promise to be a good promise. Even in waiting, even in darkness, even in exile. It is a good promise. The writer uh, Trish Harrison Warren, she wrote an opinion piece last year in the New York Times about Advent. And she writes this. She says, for Christians, Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth. That light has come into darkness. And as the Gospel of John says, the darkness could not overcome it. 
But Advent bids us first to pause and to look with complete honesty at the darkness. Which is why we celebrate the way we do during Advent. It's why we, it's why we light these candles every week. I know we're in this bright uh, school uh, cafeteria, but it's, it's why we light these candles because it, it reminds us of the light that is coming into the world. The light that will take away darkness. So we purposefully put ourselves every year in the darkness of waiting again. So that we can be reminded of the light that has come into the world. It's why, uh, to make my argument again, it's why Micah is the perfect book to study during Advent. And that is the perfect message for us at the end of a long, hard year. Because it reminds us that because of Christ's birth, we can be hopeful for the future and confident now in the present. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the hope and the confidence that... Christ brings to us. That it is not something that is trivial or fading. It's not something that is going to go away uh, on December 26th. But it's something that we carry with us uh, throughout our lives. And so God, I pray now, even as we um, have so many unanswered questions about the future... That we, that even so, some of us are currently suffering um, great losses and hard situations. God, help us to remember um, that we have hope in the future, but we also have that very same hope right now in the present. So help us to know that the light has come, the light that has overwhelmed the darkness, and that light is Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.